0: بسم الله بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله والصلاه والسلام على الله. اللهم صل على سيدنا محمد صلاه تنجينا بها من جميع الاهوال والافات وتقضي لنا بها جميع الحاجات وتطهرنا بها من جميع السيئات وترفعنا بها عندك على الدرجات وتبلغنا بها اقصى الغايات من جميع الخيرات في الحياه وبعد الممات والصلاه والسلام عليك يا سيدي يا رسول الله So, we left off on this line of the poem where Imam al-Busiri says the following Never when fate oppressed me have I sought refuge in him But that I found sanctuary with him and was oppressed no more Never when fate oppressed me have I sought refuge in him But that I found sanctuary with him and was oppressed no more And these are uh, lowercase H's He's referring to the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam And I think we belabored this too long last time actually I regretted that when I left Um, The key issue here on everything related to the issue that we kind of got into last time Was the ruling on a tawassul at tawassul bin Nabi Sallallahu wa sallam, Which is to ask Allah something Through the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam And uh, The issue basically comes down to As long as we're clear On our Aqidah We're going to be okay Even if it feels like why is he asking through the prophets on Allah? Why they send them? Is that like putting someone at the same level as Allah? No, it's just that Allah gave the prophets on Allah. Why they send them a special rank, and so he's asking through the rank of the prophets on Allah. Why they send them? There's different types of tawassul. The one that's agreed upon as being permissible is a tawassul bin amal as Saliha. It's mentioned in the hadith of the prophets Allah. are they send them? Where he talks about the three men who were uh, trapped in a cave And each of them said we're trapped in this cave and there's this huge boulder here Let's ask Allah to move the boulder by something that we did And each of them tells like some story something that was difficult for them And you know this and this happened so and so And oh Allah if I did this for your sake then move the boulder and let us become free And it moved a little bit And the next person did the same and it moved a little bit All of that was asking Allah through the deed They're saying, oh Allah, if this deed that I did Was true, then move the boulder so This type of uh, tawassul Is agreed upon as being acceptable The one that's uh, Disagreed upon is when you Do that kind of request Through somebody else Whether it's the Prophet Or some righteous person Or so on And uh, I don't want to belabor the point again It's not Probably worth it uh, If someone doesn't feel comfortable with it, alhamdulillah And if you feel comfortable with it, alhamdulillah Scholars differed on it Everything will be okay, inshallah. Even in each, even in the madhab, some of them differed Like the earlier Hanafis were more strict on it The later ones were more lenient on it You know, Imam. there's narrations of Imam Ahmed doing it Asking by the rank of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam You know, madhabs differ, it's okay point is here that he's seeking refuge with the Prophet ﷺ, not because uh, the Prophet has in and of himself any sort of thing other than that Allah gave him that, ﷺ, that Allah gave him a special position. And this is why I said that what matters in the end is that our aqeedah is sound. And the basic principle of our aqeedah is that Allah is fa'alun di yūrid, Allah does whatever He wants. Allah does whatever he wants And nothing else No one has any power in reality Except for Allah Any any power that anyone has Is because Allah created that power And it is emanating from Not emanating from But a gift from the infinite power That he has Subhanahu wa ta'ala And so as long as that's clear in our heads like, And then Busiri says that in chapter 3 We already went over that where he says that, um, don't do what the Christians did with their Prophet. And then after that, praise him as much as you want to praise him, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. And he said, leave him as a Prophet. And then say whatever you want about him, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. And what the scholars always say is that, no matter how much, if, if all of creation was to praise the Prophet, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, for all of history, it wouldn't come near the Prophet. Allah Himself praising the prophets So if everyone praised him it's okay. Anyways, we don't need to go into it too much. Uh, the point here is that this is uh, there's many many stories of this in our history. The story of the burda itself is mentioned here in the commentary. Um, that the the author of the burda was struck with an illness, and he can he wrote this poem. Praising the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam And then he saw the Prophet they alayhi wa sallam In his dream and the Prophet, Different narrations of the poem But the Prophet put his cloak on him His burda, his cloak His mantle And when he woke up he was healed from his illness This is the story of the poem And then he went out walking in the street And he passed by someone in the street And one of the people in the street told him Tell us the poem that you wrote Praising the Prophet He's like which one are you talking about? He had written a number of them so which one are you talking about? He hadn't told anyone about the poem yet. And the person that he passed in the street, they said, we want the one that starts with amintadhakkuri salami, the beginning of the buddha. So he's like, okay, he tells him the poem and then like that's how the poem became spread. Allahu alam, that's what's narrated about it. Uh, this salah, there's also mentioned in the commentary here, this salah about, uh, that I mentioned in the beginning. It's called the Salat al munjiya Salat al-Munjiyah. The Salat on the Prophet by which safety is accorded or salvation. Not salvation, but safety is accorded. Um, there's many different variations of ways to praise the Prophet wasallam. There's many books written about it. You know, different ways that people would use. You might hear me sometimes start with, Allahumma salli ala Sayyidina Muhammad Tibbil wa Dawa'iha wa Afiyat abdani wa Shifaiha wa Nur al-Abbasari wa Diyaiha wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa sallam This is called Salat al-Tibbiya You know that the, the oh, oh Allah praise Send your blessings upon the Prophet وسلم, Who is the medicine of our hearts And the healing of our bodies And the wellness for our vision Basically the, you know, praising the Prophet I send in that way There's many different kinds So the one that I said in the beginning right now Before the class is Salat al-Munjiya Allahumma salli ala Sayyidina Muhammad Salatin biha min jame'il ahwali wal afat This actually is You could say that this type of Salat Is from the category that's agreed upon Because it says Oh Allah, praise the Prophet A praise which Does the following So it's actually talking about the praise itself A praise that uh, protects us from all types of difficulties uh, By which you take care of all of our needs And you raise us to all of the highest levels And you purify us from all of our bad deeds uh, and, you give, and you allow us to reach the greatest of goals Anyways, the reason I'm saying it is because there's a story about it in the commentary right now. That's why I'm saying it. Apparently, this, this uh, someone I know, I'll just say it that way. Someone I know many, many years ago was making hajj when they were 18. They passed away relatively recently and they were very old. So this was probably like 90 years ago. That this happened. They were traveling from their country and they traveled to make Hajj. And as they made Hajj, they passed through another country. And when they went there, they met some old sheikh. The old Shaykh pulled them to the side and they said, So and so, you know, come here. And he said, What? And he said, And he wrote this salat down for him. He wrote it down. Muhammad He's like, Teach this to your children and may have them recite it every single day. And he went and finished his Hajj and he went back home to his country and he taught it to his children and they taught it to their children. Subhanallah. Here's the story. Allahu a'lam. Why do I say Allahu a'lam? Just to be clear, not because I don't believe the story. For some type people, it's hard to believe these stories. Individual stories, you don't have to necessarily accept them, right? Like an individual st- story, you might might be more true, might be less true. Fine. But when you have like a thousand years of thousands of stories like this, at least the concept should be able to like. The concept exists Maybe this particular incident Allahu alam, But the concept exists The righteous Shaykh Musa Al-Darir Al-Darir means what? Anyone? Al-Darir He's blind The righteous Shaykh Musa Ad-Darir. I don't know if he was blind Maybe that was just his name But it seems likely he was we boarded a ship in the ocean and were as soon assailed by a powerful wind they called al iqlabiyah. al iqlabiyah means what? Anyone's favorite, everyone's favorite dinner, right? It's your favorite Palestinian dinner. Turn over. Maqlouba. Turns it over, right? Iqlabiyah is a wind that would turn boats over. So it's called this wind, turns boats over. We were assaulted by this wind which seldom left behind survivors who did not drown. People began to shout out out of fear of drowning. Just then I was overcome by sleep. The Sheikh, this happened. The Shaykh is saying, at the when this wind came, everything was like people are getting worried. He fell asleep. <laughs> and he fell asleep. And in the dream I saw the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam and he said to me, Tell the passengers in the ship to say the following one thousand times. Oh Allah, bless Muhammad with a blessing that will deliver us from every terror and tribulation. Fulfill for us every need, purify us from every sin Raise us to the loftiest spiritual degrees And cause us to attain the most laudable aims In all the matters of goodness in this life and after death That's the Salat Al-Munji When I had awoken, I told the other passengers what I had seen And by the time we had recited the supplication 300 times The tempest by the blessings of invoking prayers upon the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam Had subsided Sallallahu Alaihi Sayyidina Muhammad This is in the actual Like if you don't want to go to the stories There are very reliable hadith on this concept, right? That the person who makes a lot of salah on the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi them, That their needs will be taken care of And their anxieties will be removed And so on and so forth uh, That's if, if you don't like the story Know that that's in the hadith Just so just saying Allahumma salli ala Sayyidina Muhammad Allahumma salli ala Sayyidina Muhammad is very, very important. You don't have to use Sayyidina if you want. Just make salah on the Prophet sallallahu Everything will be fine. Ibn Jala radiallahu anhu, he said, I entered the city of the emissary of Allah sallallahu and was suffering from want. So I presented myself before the Prophet's grave and invoked salutations upon him and his companions, Abu Bakr and Omar, next to him. Then I said, O oh, emissary of Allah, I am in need and I am your guest tonight I then turned and went to sleep between the grave and the pulpit As I was sleeping, the Prophet wasallam came to me and handed me a loaf of bread Of which I ate half When I awoke, I found the second half with me It is said that Ibn Jala lived for 40 years after this incident And thanks to the blessings of what he had eaten from the Prophet wasallam, He never once felt the need for food or drink Wallahu ta'ala a'ala wa'ala. Um, that's fine for now. Next line says, And never have I sought we- wealth in both worlds from his hand without receiving largesse from the best of givers. Again referring to the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. Says in the commentary, الله, The author essentially says, Never does one aspire to something in this world and the next. And entertain hope that Allah will combine both for him Taking the Prophet Wasallam as an intermediary Or seeking intercession through his rank But that he will, generally speaking, attain his desire um, Basically it's saying that if you want to get something You go through the, through the Prophet them Or through the way of the Prophet them. You could also say okay? And that that will result in good That will result in good It might not result in what we were expecting but it will result in good And that's always an important uh, Subtlety to keep note of I mean, for example In the prayer of istikhara Asking Allah for what is good It's very important that we always remember When we're making this dua That we're asking Allah We're not asking ourselves So if I'm asking Allah Oh Allah, guide me to what is good for me If it's good for me and uh, Oh Allah, this thing If it's good for me in this life and the next Then give it to me and make it easy for me And facilitate it for me And if it's not good for me Then keep it away from me And keep it away, f- and keep me away from it And give me good Wherever it might be And make me pleased with it This is essentially The du- the dua of istikhara Right? Most important thing When we make istikhara is We're actually asking Allah For what's best We haven't already Made up our mind And we're asking Allah To agree with us This is not appropriate It's bad manners Right? It's like then what am i doing am i just trying to like feel better about the decision i already made or am i actually trusting allah that his decision is best and of course sometimes this is hard like sometimes we might make some sort of maybe we have some sort of decision and we make dua about it we ask allah and we feel very clearly that like we have we should go down a particular route and that route might not be the way that we wanted to go or that will be easy for people to understand or that people will You know like maybe Just people are look at you after they're like What are you crazy And you're like I made dua I asked people I trust That's the decision You know At the end Either like I trust Allah Or I don't At that point Like you have to make that choice So uh, When we follow the way Of the Prophet Sallallahu alayhi send them. Also sometimes it might be That it doesn't go exactly The way that we were Expecting it to go But just because It didn't go that way Doesn't mean that it wasn't good And that's I think one of the One of the real big kind of like internal Wrestling matches that we go through in our lives Multiple times over and over again Like we're just wrestling with that one That I have to submit to this I don't have any more control over it I have to submit to it Ibn Atala radiallahu ta'ala anhu He said He said Whoever invokes a single blessing upon the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Allah will suffice him for his worldly and afterworldly concerns So how much more for the one Who invokes ten blessings upon him How much more for the one Who invokes ten blessings upon him Allah gives us Great reward for praying for the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi And great Fulfils our needs Ibn Ata'Allah sometimes is looked at like this overly spiritual guy in some camps Uh, And we've said this before but it's very important to know that like in our history All of the people of the various disciplines they're interconnected to one another and they respect each other So first of all Ibn Ata'Allah was the teacher of the Maliki school in Al-Azhar in his time So it's not that he wasn't aware of these things um, but even other schools, like An Kamal ibn Humam, for anyone who's Hanafi, and Kamal ibn Humam is like one of the major figures in the school. He wrote a commentary on uh, the Hidayah, which is like the main text of the Hanafi school for for the madrasa um, that brings different evidences and so on and so forth. His his um, his request at the time of his death Was that he's buried next to Ibn Al-Ta'ala He's buried there next to him So he wants to be close to him And he was like this great legal scholar Anyways Al-Shafi'i ta'ala anhu said the following Al-Shafi'i himself, the Imam The Prophet's eminence is so vast That the one who invokes blessings upon him Receives this immense portion For when would you receive blessings From Allah upon you otherwise? Had you spent your entire life performing every act of obedience And had Allah then sent upon you a single blessing That single blessing would outweigh all of the acts of obedience you performed throughout your life That is because you invoke blessings upon the Prophet ﷺ according to your capacity But Allah sends blessings upon him according to his lordship And this is speaking of a single blessing So what can, you, can one say if Allah sends ten blessings upon you for every blessing that you invoke? So, Allahumma sayyidina Muhammad. Allahumma sayyidina Muhammad. Do not deny the revelations he received in his dreams, For through for though his eyes slept, he had a heart that slept not. Though his eyes slept, he had a heart that slept not This is one of the miracles of the Prophet It's narrated in Sahih al-Bukhari That Aisha radiallahu anha asked O Messenger of God Do you go to sleep before performing witr prayer? And he replied, Aisha, my eyes sleep But my heart does not sleep And the Prophet It said about him that uh, When he was asleep No one would wake him up before he woke on his own Because they did not know the state He would be in at that time because the dreams were part of true revelation, right? So they would hesitate to wake up the Prophet them Because maybe he's having a dream That has revelation in it uh, There's a nice little point here I think we talked about dreams last time a little bit The reason why the dreams of some people are untrue Is that heedlessness overwhelms them And they are engrossed in the appetites Of their stomachs and private parts So when they sleep They are inundated by their passions And see nothing much like someone who is confused or in a drunken stupor so the the big takeaway i think for like people like ourselves is to not worry about the dreams as much as we worry about our uh, our actual waking state you know some people are really really interested in their dreams i saw this dream and i saw that dream and how can i get better dreams and i want true dreams and like everything is about dreams and one of the practical takeaways is that we should really focus on what we're doing when we're awake. If we're doing what we need to do when we're awake, that's a good thing. And if that means that we're able to control ourselves and to break our desires at some level and so on and so forth, then alhamdulillah, and maybe there'll be some benefit from that. But if we cannot do that, then we cannot trust what we see in our dreams anyways, because shaitan comes in our dreams too. And our nefs comes in our dreams, our lower self. And there's true dreams. How do you know the difference? Takes, uh, you know, some effort. Um, there's an interesting... Um, um, little thing that he brings here. I think I mentioned to you that one of the, one of the takeaways from this particular text is that you see the mainstay commentary on Qasidat al-Burta, Ibn Ajiba. He does a lot of, if you ask this, then this. And what's nice about that is that it shows you like how someone who's reading the text kind of carefully might see a question that could arise and then how you can think about answering it. Okay, so one of the things he goes into here is this uh, commentary of Ibn Ibn al-Arabi al-Maniki I'm assuming this is the Qadi, Abu Bakr ibn al-Arabi, uh, not the quote-unquote Sufi, but the Qadi, um, who uh, wrote a lot of really amazing works. Uh, As a commentary on the hadith where the Prophet slept in past the time of Fajr. Right? So some people may know there's an incident where the Prophet was traveling with the companions, and he, they, they didn't wake up for Fajr. Everyone slept through Fajr. And they woke up and the sun was out and the Prophet instructed them to get ready for prayer basically and they prayed. So the question is, uh, let me read this to you. Uh, regarding the incident in the valley pass when the Prophet on slept past the morning prayer, which according to Ibn al-Arabi al-Maniki happened several times, the answer to it is from many angles. So now he's going to give you different possibilities of why the Prophet ﷺ would have slept past Fajr. So you see now, like someone's like, okay, I have this narration. How can I understand this narration? He's the Prophet of God. Shouldn't he have woken up? So on and so on. Like people think different things. It's okay to think, thinking is okay. Uh, it's just we have to work on making sure that our thinking is not dominated by our desires and that we're thinking with patience and, and some level of uh to any, you know, some level of patience and deliberation. So here's this first one. First, the wasallam statement, My eyes sleep but my heart does not sleep, means that so so the question is this if he slept through Fajr, but he said, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, my eyes sleep but my heart does not sleep, then how do we understand these two hadith next to each other? That's the question, right? It's a reasonable question. Like if his heart doesn't sleep, but then they slept through Fajr how, how do I understand that? So he said the first possibility is uh, That this was his predominant state And this incident where they slept through Was a rare occurrence in which Allah the glorified Caused him to remain asleep past the prayer uh, So that the Prophet Wasallam could clarify to the people What the sunnah is in such a situation So that normally he wouldn't have slept through, but Allah decreed specifically for this case that he sleeps through, so that we know what to do if we miss prayer, if we sleep through the prayer unexpectedly. Thank you. MashaAllah, this is the nice tea. (coughs) You guys are laughing because there's no tea. It's water (laughs) We can imagine Anyone You guys watch the Kung Fu Panda series on Amazon Prime My son's favorite part is with the naked mole rats Anyways (laughs) If you haven't seen it you don't understand But there's a scene with the The naked mole rats They find the naked mole rats in the desert And then they're like And now we're going to have the feast And they open everything and nothing's there And they're just like eating out of the bowls And they're like what is going on This is the good tea Alhamdulillah
1: Tea is just water anyways, right? It's flavored water.
0: It's waters are the same. So uh, the sunnah of the Prophet them. So the first possibility is Allah wanted to clarify the sunnah. So he clarified the sunnah by that happening. Ibn Abbas anhu. I look at the companions the way they look at things. Ibn Abbas radiallahu anhu. What did he say? He said, I would not be happy to possess the world and all that it contains in exchange for praying the morning prayer With the emissary of Allah وسلم, After the sunrise After the sunrise That I missed the Fajr With the Prophet And we woke up after And we prayed together That's more important to me Than the entire world Because now First of all He prayed with the Prophet Second of all They know what to do now If the situation comes up Sayyidna Sayyidna Atfadda yeah. <laughs> <Look>. <laughs> All right Secondly, second possibility The rising of the sun can only be perceived by eyesight Which is taken during sleep While the heart does not perceive the rising of the sun Even when it is awake The heart only perceives the spiritual realm So this is the second possible explanation His eyes were asleep Even if his heart was awake His heart is awake in the spiritual realm But his eyes are asleep in the physical realm So he didn't see the sun Sallallahu alayhi wasallam. Third possible meaning, third possible interpretation Is that the Prophet's statement But my heart does not sleep Is that it does not sleep because it is receiving revelation at that time So his heart could be busy hearing the revelation And understanding it from Allah Most High And thus unable to look elsewhere And engage with the outside world at the same time And Allah knows best So he gives these different possibilities It is also recorded in a hadith That a righteous person's dream is one of 46 parts of prophethood the Prophet وسلم, said this. The righteous person's dream is one of forty-six parts of Prophethood. Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. This is why dreams are important in certain cases. Um, there was something that I was gonna say about that. Uh, hadith and the possibilities, righteous person's dream. Mm-hmm. His heart could be busy ah. uh, I have a theory I don't know if it's true Because I'm not I have a theory I wonder sometimes You read the biographies of these great people in our history And you're like How is it possible that they did what they did? I mean like At-Taburi They're quoting a taburi here At-taburi for example At-Taburi he came to his students He was like I think we should write a history book they're like it sounds great Maulana what do you have in mind he said i have in mind 30000 pages and they're like shaykh it's going to take the whole lifetime like nobody we're not going to be able to finish it he's like okay fine it's 3000 pages history. he dictates 3000 pages they write it down they have the history book of at right then like time passes he says what do you guys think we write a tafsir they're like, sounds great, what do you have in mind? He's like, I have in mind 30,000 pages <laughs> and like, sure. same thing as last time Like, we're not going to have time to do that He's like, subhanallah <speaking in Hebrew> Nobody has any ambition anymore Like, what is wrong with people? They don't, like, 30,000 pages? What's wrong with you? Bismillah. Let's do it They're like, we can't do it so it ends up 3,000 pages, you know my, my theory is that these people Their educational system from very early on involved understanding, but also memorizing. So if you memorize large quantities of information and then you go to sleep, you ever gone to sleep and you're asleep for like half an hour and your dream was a whole day. So you you wake up and you're like, man, I had this dream. Like I woke up in the morning and I did this and that. And then like, I went to the Mejlis and I came home and like put the kids to bed. And then I woke up and it's like half an hour later. I don't know, this is the only way I can explain it. That these people must have had dreams where they're just reviewing everything. It's already in it's in their mind and their heart. And they like sit down, like I'm gonna go through Bukhari real quick. Three hours later they wake up, they went through all of Bukhari. They went through all of th- you know whatever it might be. Allahu Alam. I don't have any evidence for it. Just in theory. Looking at myself and these people were incredible. Wadaqahina Buluhi that was when he attained his prophetic status. The night dreams of mature men cannot be denied. So it's just saying that he was the Prophet them. when some of these dreams happened. And also leading up to his prophethood, there was also true dreams as mentioned in the narration about the beginning of Revelation. That there was before the beginning of Revelation, the Prophet them, would see dreams and they would happen as like, as clear as you see the sun the, the morning breaking Like the break of dawn As clear as you see the break of dawn he, That's how his dreams would happen Sallallahu alayhi wa you would see the dream would happen like that So, you know Sallallahu alayhi wa wa sallam Tabarak wahyun bi muktasibin Wala nabiyun ala ghaibin bi Oof, what a line Blessed is Allah Revelation is not something acquired nor can a prophet's knowledge of the unseen Be deemed suspect So a really important line actually The and So wh- wh- what is this issue Actually one time one of the imams Asked me if I could go speak on his behalf somewhere And this was the topic Basically it was at an interfaith thing Type thing The question is question is essentially this Does someone Go through a level of spiritual enlightenment, so to speak, or like disciplining and so on, and then all of a sudden they become a prophet? Or is prophethood something that's just it's a gift from Allah, Allah gives it to whoever He chooses. Of course those people are gonna be the greatest of people, but it's it's not something you you get from your own accord. Okay, you don't you don't acquire it yourself. And of of course the position of the Muslims is that it's not acquirable. You don't just like, you know, say before the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu Alaihi wa sallam you don't just have like some righteous person who does really amazing things and becomes so great, and then Allah's like, okay, you're a prophet now. It doesn't happen that way. Allah's already chosen who are going to be the prophets. And yeah, they're going to be the best of people. But it's not acquired, it's fadl, it's a gift. Um, Outside of prophethood, There's a level of this that is true also for like Just advancement in spirituality in general Outside of profit Take prophethood out of the question But even when it comes to like someone Bettering in their relationship with Allah It's important that we always remind ourselves That it comes from Allah It doesn't come from me Yes, I put my effort in I put my work in So on and so forth But if I am able to make some sort of gains In my relationship with God That is purely a gift from God and this is a really important issue uh, Because if we don't have it right it, leads to, it can lead to a lot of despair And that's why Ibn Al-Ta'ala Some of you who attended the Hikam class class, You will remember that Ibn Al-Ta'ala In his first Hikmah In the Hikam, his first wisdom is من علامة على نقصان الرجاء عند وجود That from the sign of Depending on one's deeds The understanding of that is that you've Depended on your deeds, you didn't depend on Allah Is that they lose hope when they slip What is the sign? Is that the person loses hope when they slip So yeah, I'm going to put in effort But as I put in this effort, I'm relying on Allah If I put in tremendous effort And I'm relying on Allah Then when I make a mistake, I'm still relying on Allah I wasn't relying on me Right? And so that means that I don't fall off. Many of us were trained to rely on ourselves. It's the reality of our world, our parenting maybe, whatever it might be. You're gonna really rely on yourself. And so as soon as you get an A minus, it's like the world has ended. Despair, like who am I? I, My humanity has been lost. I got an A minus and everything is through. There's nothing left in the world. All, all is, nothing can be salvaged now. It is all over. I might as well throw, throw in the towel and become a mass murderer now because I got an A minus, right? And you just give up on everything. And it's funny when we're in school, it's not funny when you get into real life. Because in real life, you are inevitably going to get an A minus and a B plus and a B and a C. Sometimes you're gonna get fired. Things are gonna happen in the real world. And if the real world is like that, and you've been trained to just fall into a hole and, and beat yourself up and give up on anything, when something doesn't go right, it's a bad situation. So I have to, my i'timad is on Allah. My i'timad is not on myself. My, my uh, uh, reliance is on Allah, it's not on myself. That doesn't absolve me from doing everything that I should do, but, in, uh, ultimately the reliance is on Allah Subhanahu wa ta'ala It's a unique bestowal It's a unique bestowal Upon the Prophet Or upon whoever Reaches anything with Allah And then he says afterwards also very important And a Prophet Is not accused in regards To what they tell us about the unseen Part of having a religion Part of believing in a prophet Is believing in the unseen To recognize that there are things That I do not know I can only know them Through the knowledge That the prophet <laughs> Has given me This is why There's certain questions People think it's a cop out sometimes And I just don't like to answer them So like when people say why, Usually they're like You know Why, why do women pray behind men It's not a bad question. There's nothing wrong with the question. right? I'm not saying that at all. The only answer I can give to that question is because that's the way the Prophet Sallim taught us how to pray. It's the only answer I can, personally, that I feel I can give to this question. Because why? Because we didn't know how to pray. I didn't, I didn't know how to worship Allah. I didn't know where to stand, how to do, what to say. Any of it. I mean, if you're going to open the door to every why, then there's, en- there's endless whys. Like, why is it that when you start, you say Allahu Akbar instead of Allahu Adam? or Allahu Altaf, or Allahu Akram? Like, isn't prayer an act of generosity? Like, we should say Allahu Akram instead of Allahu Akbar. I mean, there's all kind of, any, anyone can reason whatever sort of thing they want to reason. But in the end, if there's something that I didn't know, it's, it was from the unseen. How to pray? in some ways it's from the unseen. Like we didn't have any knowledge of how to pray. The Prophet Sallallahu taught us how to pray. We didn't know, someone says like, um, you know, I don't know about this whole Sirat thing. It sounds kind of fairy tale-ish. <laughs> <laughs> we believe in Allah, but people sometimes they think these things like, I don't know about a scale, on the day of judgment Like how big is that scale going to be I don't know It sounds kind of weird to me Look this is, unse- this is a matter of the unseen The Prophet told us There's a scale There's a scale Allah told us there's a scale There's a scale That's, that's all we have on this So what, what he's getting at in that line is When it comes to the unseen You can't question a Prophet about the unseen You can question yourself Whether you believe in the Prophet That's very reasonable You can question yourself Whether you believe in the book you know, Do I believe in the Quran or not Very good question Why do I believe in the Quran Very good question Why do I believe in the Prophet Very good question But if I And why should I believe that the Prophet Said this particular thing Very good question But if I know that the Prophet wa sallam, Said it If I know that the Prophet Said it That's it if I know that Allah said it, that's it. And that this is the only interpretation. Even if I can't really come to terms with it, I might be having a hard time with it. But that's what revelation is, right? That's what the unseen is. Um, maybe we'll just leave it there. Sallallahu <laughs> alayhi wa You have to. But this is part of the unseen. You can't ask a Prophet, like, you know, why, do, why about this? It's, he got it from Allah. He got it from Allah. Either you believe or you don't So ask that question That's what Sayyidina Abu Bakr said, right? Sayyidina Abu Bakr, he gave my favorite answer to everything because, By the way, side point Be careful not to study your religion By answering and thinking about The doubts that other people bring to you This is a very bad methodology It doesn't mean don't answer questions And think about questions But it's like the famous book the guy wrote, right? Don't think of an elephant you tell someone, don't think of an elephant, what do they think of? An elephant. If your entire engagement with your religion is the doubts that people bring to you about your religion, what are you going to have about your religion? You're going to have a lot of doubts. Does that mean you can't answer them? No. But the point is, like, if I want to study my religion, I should just study my religion. And then once I've studied my religion, at some level, some basic level, I can be- and I feel kind of like sound and I have good mentors and teachers and I feel like I have a little bit of weight to my experience and I can deal with whatever I need to deal with. But the entirety of our engagement shouldn't be like, this person asked me this, what's the answer? This person asked me this, what's the answer? I mean, you do know that people spend huge amounts of money to do this. Like it's an industry. It's an industry to dig up anything from our history that might be a little bit questionable or might sound weird to people nowadays and put it online and make sure that Muslims see it or to teach it in churches and so on and so forth. And then go talk to your Muslim friends about it. Like this, this is a real thing. It's not, it's not make-believe. I mean, people who intentionally do this. So it's okay to learn, of course, but uh, we should learn properly. كَمْ أَبْرَأَتْ rahatuhu وَأَطْلَقَتْ أَرِبًا مِنْ رِبْقَةِ how many sick people were healed by the touch of his hand And how many released from the tight knots of madness وصلي وصلي Many incidents where people were sick The Prophet Sallallahu touched them The Prophet Sallallahu prayed for them um, They were afflicted with different things And the Prophet Sallallahu became a means Of their being healed from that affliction Um Many narrations I'll read some of them Qadi Iyad radiAllahu Anhu Reports That the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam Placed his head His hand on the head Of Hanzala And blessed him A man was brought To Hanzala Whose face had swollen And a sheep Whose udders had swollen They were placed on the spot Where the Prophet's hand Had touched And the swelling went down So the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam Had touched a, pr- a part of Hanzala's head And made dua for him And stuff And later on Someone was uh, their face was swollen. They came put their face on the place where the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam touched on Handala's head. And the swelling went down. Sallallahu <laughs> Alaihi Wasallam. The Prophet Sallallahu touched the head of a young boy who was suffering of a scalp ailment. And the boy's, the boy's hair grew out evenly. Um, there's an incident where uh, a companion had a cyst on his hand. That made it so that he couldn't even hold his sword Or the reins of his horse And the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam He he came to the Prophet and he complained about that And the Prophet started rubbing it And uh, slowly but surely It went away as if nothing was there Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam There's many incidents like this Um, The famous incident of this Is the hadith of Uthman ibn Hunayf Which is the hadith that relates to Tawassul That we talked about before where Uthman ibn Hunayf said that a blind man said to the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wasallam Pray to Allah that he restore my, my sight And the Prophet sallallahu Alaihi wasallam said go and perform ablutions Then come to the masjid and perform two units of prayer and say O Allah, I ask you and turn to you through our Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam The Prophet of Mercy O Muhammad, I turn through you to my Lord that he restore my sight O Allah, grant him intercession for me. This was all what the Prophet Wasallam told him to say, and thereafter the man's sight was returned. And this is narrated in An Nasa'i. Um, so uh, there another. There's of course also the incident where the woman who had she used to have epileptic seizures, and she would when she would have them, then she would become uncovered. Uh, and she came to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa them, And she asked him, make dua for Allah to heal me And the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa told her uh, If you wish, I'll make dua for you and you'll be healed Or you can be patient with this and paradise will be your reward you know, He knew something about the situation so the Paradise will be your reward And then she said, oh Prophet of Allah When I experience this, my awrah becomes uncovered My nakedness becomes uncovered and make du'a for that So the Prophet made du'a That Allah keeps her covered When these things happen to her And she continued to be afflicted by this thing But she she wouldn't be uncovered And you know There's so many narrations on the topic If you want more you can go to Ashifa. shifa says in the commentary That we talked about last week shahbah hatta hakat. Uh, his supplication brought life to a gray year of drought Marked it out from dark years like a ho- year's like a horse's white blaze So, uh, you know, basically there's an incident where the people came to uh, The Prophet wasallam made dua against the people of Quraysh After he had seen a lot from them, he made dua against the people of Quraysh and they were afflicted by severe famine after that Like famine but drought They had drought um, He told them years like the years of Yusuf um, And then after that It passed um, <coughs> They actually came back to him And they asked him وسلم, Your people are going through hardship After this prayer that you made The disbelievers The people are going through hardship after this prayer that you made Can you make dua that it goes away sallallahu alayhi wa sallam It's very unique cases Just to be clear The Prophet sallallahu wa sallam It wasn't his general habit to make dua against people Sometimes he did sallallahu alayhi wa sallam But it's very rare uh, The other famous one about this is that the man who came They were in Medina the, During the khutbah the man came In the middle of the khutbah he said Ya Rasulullah we're having this drought Everything is difficult Make dua for rain So the Prophet sallallahu raised his hands And he made dua for rain And the rain While they were sitting there The clouds came And the rain started to come down And it didn't stop This is why Like some of our family members They always say When you make dua Always ask for khair You don't know what's best Make sure you ask for what's best Because you don't know What that might be The man was like Give us rain The Prophet was like Oh Allah The rain came It didn't stop for the whole week The rain kept going The rain kept going The rain kept going Things started to flood And the man came back The next Jummah he said, Ya Rasulullah, everything's flooding Make <laughs> dua, you know It goes differently And the Prophet ﷺ started to make a different dua said, O Allah, on our outskirts And not upon us On our hillocks and low and high valleys And on the roots of the trees So he made dua that it would go Like uh, So one of the du'as when it rains That let, it be, let us benefit From it being around us But not so much that it hurts us you think, SubhanAllah, You thought it was good for you, then it actually ends up hurting you. So this is, so but that verse is the the verse the line in the poem is about that incident. <coughs> with generous rain clouds, so much that you would have thought that the valleys flowed with sea water, or the flood of Adam. So these are just saying that you know the rain came. When he made dua for the rain, so much of the rain came And then there's more lines about it too uh, Which I will read and translate So we have a few more minutes <laughs> عمائما برؤوس الهضبي والأكامي، فالنخل باسقة تجل قلايدها مثل البهادي على الأبصار والعنمي، وفارق الناس داء القحط وانبعثت إلى المكار نَفْسُ النِّكْسِ وَالْبَرَمِ When the valley of Medina complained of its lack of rain, he said pour down and flow over hillocks and mountains. The earth fulfilled its trust, bringing forth provision. For men and livestock by the permission of her creator she was adorned with a fine dress and had wound turbans around her mountains and hills referring to like the vegetation that came after the rain It, it adorned the city of medina lofty date palms displayed themselves with necklaces which dazzled the eye like yellow spice on the mountain when the drought's malady departed the people Formerly weighed down and stingy Were freed up for virtues So um, (coughs) This is you know Talking about This uh, experience of when They faced this drought And then the Prophet Made this dua And um, they They were given what they were given And benefited from what they benefited From which is the same narration As the one before Um Ibn he has a very beautiful work on, for anyone who can read Arabic, I encourage you to try to find it. I found it at Jareer bookstore, actually. Behjat um, al-Nufus. He has a summary of, or a, uh, not a summary, an abridgment of Sahih al-Bukhari, and then he wrote the commentary on it. So he chose certain hadith, very few hadith from the collection, actually, and then he wrote a commentary on it. It has a lot of really... Beautiful insights that you don't find in many other places. Um, so he has some comment on this uh, that I'll read about this incident of the of the rain, and he'll he he lists out like numbers of benefits. Oftentimes, so like in the Hadith of the beginning of Wahi, he goes through and he's like he'll list like forty things that we learn from the beginning of um, from the beginning of. From the beginning of Wahi He gives like 40 things that we can benefit Some of them are really incredible And they're like modern psychology type things Like uh, Like in psychology There's a difference between when you make a referral Or when you hand someone off to someone else Right Like if you see someone and you tell them Oh you should talk to so and so That's one thing But if you actually go to that person And you tell them I have such and such let me connect you with them. You actually like hand them off. This is another level, right? Ibn Abi Jamrah mentions this in the story of Khadijah radiallahu anha and how she dealt with the Prophet at the beginning of Revelation. He says she didn't just tell him, go talk to waraqa. She said there's waraqa, he's an expert. We should go talk to the expert. Let me take you and go talk to him. She makes the introduction. SubhanAllah, like there's actually, even, even the idea of self-care. Ibn Abi Jamrah says in, this, in the story of the beginning of the Revelation, this is like 800 years ago, 600 years ago. He says, from the part that says that the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi them after it happened and he got worried about it and he ran home and he told his wife, hold me, hold me. He says, from this we learn that a person can deal with difficulty that they're facing by doing things that they're accustomed to. Meaning that the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi them had this, he was accustomed to doing this thing to help him calm down. And he went through a difficult thing and he went back to that practice <laughs> I mean it's amazing, he says it in the commentary subhanAllah, it's like one line It's like the old books are always like that, just one line and then you have to, you're like wow subhanAllah So let's see what he said about this incident He said this hadith contains the following lessons First, alleviation should not be sought from something injurious except in the amount that is ascertained to be harmful In this context, that was the amount of rain that destroyed homes and drowned wealth since it causes them to become stuck in the mud And does not benefit them in the least The camels On the other hand when desert areas receive rain They benefit greatly in their future And there is an increase in pasture land Water and other benefits So this is the first thing The rain was coming It was deemed to be harmful You remove the amount that takes the harm away But not the amount that's bringing some sort of benefit This is the first one. Second one In this hadith There is proof that Allah gave his prophet great perceptiveness and intuition regarding what is good nice beneficial point right the prophet Wasallam, understood when we need alleviation let me ask for this not that right He's, he saw the subtlety of dealing with the situation third in Ennis's statement no sooner had he pointed towards an area of dense cloud coverage it split apart and dispersed there is proof of the prophet's tremendous miracles in that regard as the clouds were subjected to him each time he pointed at them And they submitted to his instruction without him needing to resort to speech That is because the Prophet's speech is intimate discourse with the real Subhanahu wa ta'ala While his communications with the clouds were merely by pointing Were it not that the clouds were ordered to obey him They would not have obeyed Because they move and float wherever and for however long they are commanded Fourthly, in Ennis' is saying, large mountainous clouds appeared there is proof of the immense power of the majestic and sovereign king This is understood from the speed with which he created the giant clouds In such a sp- short span of ma- time Exalted and sublime, sublime as he So we see like the Prophet did this And then these big clouds came So it shows how amazing Allah is Subhanahu wa ta'ala Six, this also proves that du'a is one of the greatest means of goodness This is taken from the speed at which the Prophet's du'a provided benefit And the Prophet them, said he who is inspired to make du'a Has the doors of providence opened for him That if someone is inspired to make du'a Then the answer of the du'a Has already been opened for them Like just the fact that I was thinking About making the du'a Is an evidence that some sort of good Is going to come from it And seven In Anna saying that they received rain From one Friday to the next There is proof that bestowal Is proportionate to the sanctity Of the intercessor Since the intercessor here Was the possessor of uh, of immense sanctity The rains came down in succession Until the people received the benefits They had sought after This is why the Prophet them said Your leaders are your intercessors So consider well who will intercede On your behalf hmm. So be careful Who's in charge and who you're seeking benefit from
1: We'll stop here inshallah
0: There's, there's more to say But we can stop here It's too long and it's too late. So, sallallahu alaihi wasallam. Alayhi s-salam. Wa ala aanihi wasahbihi sallam. Alhamdulillahirobbil 'alameen. If there's any questions, comments, reflections, observations, anyone would like to share, please do. Barakallahu fikum.